0: It's the full go presented by FanDuel. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. What up, world? You're listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff presented by the Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah, Hey man, this is uh this is quite the sports night. At least for me it was. You know, what what episode is this? 159. Ah, shout out to episode 159 of the Full Go podcast. Of course, I'm Jason Goff, and that voice you're hearing is of our production staff members you know one of the guys jesse lopez the active jesse lopez our tony gill is out tonight so we're gonna be riding in the, the the two-man formation and ladies and gentlemen i don't know if you hear that in the background but oh it's time it is time it is time to tuck away all these sports that don't have any swag All these sports where brothers can't do ridiculous things and not be judged by other brothers. All these sports that have these lackluster groupies. All these other sports that won't bombard you with all the excitement on a Christmas day as the unofficial opening of the season. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the NBA season, well, preseason is upon us. All right, let me cut this foolishness now. There are a few things worse than NBA preseason basketball. So shout out to tonight being the night that I consumed three and a half hours worth of Bulls preseason basketball against the New Orleans Pelicans. Hopefully everybody out there is having a great uh, day, night, evening, walk, stroll. Shout out to the people who, um, who listen to this pod while they're you know, running their errands or getting their groceries. Hey, let me tell you this too. Shout out to roadside assistance people. Okay. Had a little bit of a car issue. Uh, Apparently the, the battery, um, what is it? The, Oh, the holder for the battery wasn't fastened well enough. Like the, you know, wherever the battery plugs up to the rest of the car, I don't. You know, like I'm the not, actual I'm, connections or like something yeah, that, that yeah. keeps the battery. Like yeah, the, the 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 casing for the battery, right? Like you know, the the where the corrosion happens on the battery, where you you got to pour the shit over it to make it dissolve in some weird science experiment. Yeah, that, but I know what you're things. talking about. That it's leaving my mind. The, well, The, the correct well, word. Well, I'll, I'll get off of it so we can sound like, you know, two greater it's, men I than we actually most. are. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, leave it in there. <laughs> Shit, I, I don't I, I make no I cast no kinds of uh, claims to being anybody's, uh, you know, mechanic or fix it, dude. Only thing I know about cars is the ones that I like. <laughs> and, and that's about it. I, I will cut a check to get it fixed. You know, shout out to my uncle, Greg. Uh, back in the day when I used to buy radios for, for my cars, and he used to install them, and it'd take like six hours every single time, but it would be in my grandmother's garage, and it would be like a fun event, because it was like, oh, man, I can't believe you could do this, and I can't wait to leave here having not paid anything for it, because you take this as a challenge. So, shout out to my Uncle Greg, uh, who's who's an accountant, by the way. It's not like this dude was out here busting his knuckles, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, he just loved doing that kind of stuff. Not me. No, 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 sir. The most I will do is change a tire and at this old age, I'm gonna call somebody to change the tire. So shout out to the roadside assistance people because I got today, I got a roadside assistance dude who I got like a few weeks ago when my lady actually uh her car gave out. You had on the her. flat tire. Oh Steve, yeah, on this on the Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he texts Or when he called and the number was in my my contact, I'm like, wait a minute, was this some drunk night when I was hanging out with a bunch of mechanics and all of a sudden one of them just hit me up and happened to be the dude that's going to help me out? But it just happened in this big, crazy city of ours that I ran into this gentleman twice, going to invite him out to a Chicago Bulls game before the season is out because he not only did a terrific job, but he, you know, he, you know. In times of need, when you're that vulnerable and people actually not only do the gig, but like treat you like a human and just are cool about it, I I appreciate that. I'm the guy who tips extra, extra for service, uh, and especially when it's a service that you really don't have to put too much into. You can just do it and be an ass and just go about your business. This dude wasn't that. So shout out to all the people out there who are helping people out, all the roadside assistance people. Shout out to all the dispatchers. Shout out to all the tow truck drivers, all the guys and girls out there doing the gigs that that we need to uh, not only stay safe, but to keep this thing going. So uh, appreciate all of y'all. But yeah, man, this was quite the night. As we are taping here on uh, Tuesday night, this was quite the night of sports, right? We, you got, you got Aaron Judge hitting his 62nd home run, which I maybe I have been kind of withdrawn. I've been listening to the New York New York podcast. Shout out to our guy John Uh, But maybe I've been kind of withdrawn. But the AL record is like. We conjured that up and made that a thing again. Apparently, because I'm seeing all uh, he set the record, and I'm like, wait a minute, did Barry Bonds not exist, or what it's are we in what Very, 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 very tiny font. Al, yeah, everything yeah. else is not big, but the Al oh, is like size three. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And then I had the audacity of asking that question on Twitter, and boy, the old angry white men were out. They were on my black ass. How dare you if the AL record is, is hollow territory? Shout out to Chris Collins. I'm not talking about you, Chris. You're my man, 50 grand. But shout out to, you know, no, not shout out, but how dare you? How dare you not recognize that this record it was done without juice? And I'm like, all right, well, now do Josh Gibson in the Negro Leagues. Let, 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 let's, let, let's, let's make all of these records uh, as pure as we possibly can. Let, let's make sure that everything that happened pre-Jackie Robinson is Is no longer filtered into the numbers. Of course, I'm not going to get into a back and forth on Twitter about that with those people because that's what Twitter these days is made for. But yeah, quite the night, right? Everybody pulled up a chair at, at America's favorite sports bar known as Twitter and started screaming about Aaron Judge. Shout out to Aaron Judge because... I love when a dude goes out there and says, "You're gonna pay me, whether you want to or not." I'm gonna go out here and have a record-breaking season, damn near win a triple crown for the New York Yankees. I cannot wait until he is paid six hundred million dollars to be a New York Met. I, it, it, it is. It, you can already go ahead and go ahead and print it in bold letters. Yankees fans are going to uh, have to watch this man run around City Field. Is it still City Field? You know, I, I don't know after. Uh, like after percent sure. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to be sure. It's this is Chicago podcast. Anybody from New York gets a hold of this thing, you can tell them I said so. It's all good. I'm good with New York though. People, I got, I got family in New York. New York has always been good to me. I'm not one of these weird. Well, not weird, but I'm not one of these people in this city who looks at New York as like the the evil city that we shall not name. Nah, I'm good with New York. I had. A, well, had New Yorkers a, will look at you fine because it is still City Field. No, there it is. Shout out to. Uh, Aaron Judge roaming City Field for the next seven years at, at $600 million, whatever the hell they're going to pay him. But I'm always down for people who uh, who bet on themselves and then get paid off for that bet. But that's not all that happened tonight in the world of sports. Yeah, buddy, the Bulls are back. Preseason basketball for your head top and, whew, yeah. <laughs> and that thing, I know it's the first preseason game, so I'm not going to, to make any grand pronouncements or any grand declarations. But but if this season's going to go the way the Bulls fans want it to go, then the things that I've been saying about this team in the offseason are going to have to come true not only during this preseason, but during the season. I got no issues with the Bulls offense. I think they're going to find their 110, 112 points that they need to score per game. Defensively, is where this team is going to have to take another step. And we saw the first glimpse of the Lonzo Ball-less Chicago Bulls in terms of understanding he's not going to be there to start the season. Last year, you kept waiting for him to come back after the surgery. Never came back. It's bled over into this year. He's going to be reevaluated in about six weeks, six and a half weeks or so uh, from this second knee procedure that he's had. Um, An absolute uh, mouth shot. To this roster, into this team, to start this season, but Ayodele looked good. He looked good. He, 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 the muscle that he put on, and all the things that people talked about in his offseason workouts, they they look like he looked like a, a young professional in his second year that's ready to not only take a spot, but you know make people take notice. Yeah, that all rookie second team was huge for him, but. I think Io DeSumo is coming into this year not only with staking his claim to a starting position on his mind, but also his NBA financial future on his mind. He gets paid earlier because he was a second-round pick. So him going out there tonight and putting up shots is what I wanted to see. And he put them up, you know, in the flow of the offense, got a chance to run with the twos and some of the threes later on in the game where he became a little bit more offensively aggressive. But Io DeSumo is now... He's got the unenviable task of making sure that not only DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic get fed, but also defending uh, the toughest position in the NBA right now, which is the point guard position. But 10 points in 23 minutes for Al uh two turnovers, three assists, two rebounds, got his wind. You know, all you want to do is get out of these things healthy, right? Get out of them healthy and try to implement some of the things that you learned in practice. They've only had a few practices so far. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans, I will say this, if, and it's a big if, you know, no pun intended, but (laughs) the big if, is that Zion Williamson's new nickname, by the way? The big if, the big if would be if they stay healthy, that team is going to score people's faces off. Like, no Brandon Ingram, right? CJ McCollum, you know, he got a sweat in, but he wasn't really looking to score tonight. Zion Williamson in 15 minutes had 13 points on six field goal attempts and five free throws, and it didn't look like he broke a sweat. The second jump is still as quick as ever, and, you know, he looks like he's in better shape. Obviously, after last year and being much maligned and, you know, not participating, I didn't know, like, we knew he didn't play a lot in the first few years of his nba career i didn't know well i knew this as well but it just didn't seem like he missed this many games he's only played 85 of something like a possible 260 games like that's crazy <laughs> and he scored 27 a game on on damn near 60% field goal shooting the last time we saw him fully healthy so he looked spry he looked like a you know uh, a tank put into a fighter jet you know that that dude is going to um if he stays healthy, that dude is going to make us truly truly understand what it is to be a man child like I didn't get a chance to see Moses Malone in his prime, but my my dad and his friends and you know a lot of basketball dudes that I you know grew up around told me about Moses Malone and for everything that I heard about Moses Malone, I kind of get those vibes by Zion Williamson. Now don't get me wrong. Like you, you're not dropping Zion Williamson on a team and all of a sudden they're becoming a championship contender because that's exactly what happened with Moses Malone. Like Dr. J was moving and grooving for years, <laughs> him and Mo Cheeks. Right. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden you you get black Jesus dropped in into Philadelphia. Next thing you know, they're, they're out here winning championships and the famous foe, foe, foe saying. So, um, the, the Bulls, and listen, Stan Van Gundy actually said it in the first part of the doubleheader tonight. By the way, the, the the NBA being back on TNT and then me flipping on and not seeing Charles and Shaq and Kenny and seeing Brendan and, and Channing, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, did I turn to NBA TV? But they were like the NBA TV set. They did themselves a fine job. Shout out to those dudes. And, and, and I, I'm like, all right. You know, we're back. Stan Van Gundy is out here throwing out jokes. My man, Jared Greenberg from NBA TV. I did some work with him on NBA radio on Sirius XM back in the days. and shot him a text. Always looking good out here. It's just good. It's just good to see Uh, the game back, right? And it's good to start to have these things run around your head, like how good are the Pelicans going to be? Or, oh, does Tom Thibodeau have a young team that he could do something with with the New York Knicks? You know, Jalen Brunson out there running around in that first game of that doubleheader. But Stan Van Gundy, to me, The most important part for a Chicago Bulls fan was Stan Van Gundy ran down the list of teams in the East while he was trying to slot where the New York Knicks were going to be. And he went through every team that we've mentioned that might be ahead of the Bulls this year in the Bostons, the Philadelphias, the Milwaukee's, the Brooklyn's of the world, Miami, Toronto. And then he got to Cleveland, and then he got to Atlanta, and then he mentioned the Knicks. And I was like, "Uh, at some point here, somebody's going to have to mention the Bulls, right? And then the conversation was over. Like, I don't know if it was an oversight. Probably was. But I was like, oh, oh, damn. (laughs) Y'all think the Bulls is not going to make the playoffs or the play-in tournament. Okay. All right. Cool. Crazy part is, this team could finish anywhere from four to nine. You know? Or ten, because if you can finish nine, you can finish ten in the East, and that spread can only be about three games, three and a half games. Every single game that the Bulls play in the Eastern Conference this year, there there will be no necess- necessity, I should say, for a wake up call or uh, you know a uh, a reset. Like if you don't understand what every game is going to be in the Eastern Conference this year then you haven't tuned in to the off transactions. You, you haven't heard the chatter about what the Eastern Conference is supposed to be. You didn't see Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving figure it out and, and Ben Simmons throw on his Instagram page that he back. Like, there, there are some teams in this conference that every single night is going to be something. To, and by the way, the Orlando Magic, you know, those teams like the Franz Wagner's of the world and, and the Wendell Carter Jr.'s of the world and all those picks that they got in Orlando. I mean, the, the Detroit Pistons, who we saw in the first game of the doubleheader night on the NBA on TNT with Jay Nivey and Kate Cunningham and Sadiq Bey. Like they they don't know what they don't know yet. So they're going to be a tough night, too. Like they, I don't see I don't see an easy game on the schedule for an Eastern Conference team this year. Unless you out West and you running into the Sacramento Kings or somebody like that, even the Indiana Pacers who try to figure it out, you know, as they rebuild that roster from the double big look that they had. Miles Turner and DeMondis Sabonis, obviously DeMondis is in Sacramento now. But this um, this Eastern Conference, if you're a Bulls fan, it's OK to, to say to yourself, you going to find out what you got. The expectations are high, and Arturo Karnashova said he wants this team to do better than they did last year. Which means they got to win a playoff series, right? If that's if that's what I'm reading into correctly, and if that's the case, then you better you better be one of these top four teams, <laughs> because if you six seven, you know somewhere around there, obviously you don't want to be in the playing tournament, but if you 8", seven or eight, you're gonna be running into Philly, and Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. And, and who knows what Boston's going to be with the coaching situation and how Jalen Brown feels. But this team, when healthy, is going to, to have to play a level of defense that um, that they were used to for the first half of the season last year with Lonzo Ball. But now you have to get used to him not being there and understanding that this is the defense you got. Right? Like, yeah, it, it, I talked about it on media day, uh, the pod after media day. Bulls fans, Bulls players, and the Bulls organization, everybody outside of Lonzo Ball has to go about this thing like Lonzo is not going to play this year. And I know that the, the, the prognosis is not that, but defensively, I, this team's going to have to key in as if he's not walking through those doors this year, not waiting for that respite of when we get Lonzo back, we know this there'll be an uptick in the defense. And that's why a guy like Dale and Terry playing the way that he played tonight, you know, I don't, think Dalen Terry is going to get a lot of minutes, but I didn't think Io Suma would get a lot of minutes last year. Well Hell, we thought he would be relegated to the G League after his summer league performance. And all he did was jump into a few moments and show his coach that, here's the reason why you shouldn't take me off the floor. And Dalen Terry did that tonight in the preseason game. Uh, it, it was garbage time for a lot of it, but he played with not just an intensity, but um, an activity level and a motor that is undeniable. Now, Him playing point guard in high school a little bit and him playing a little bit of ball-handling position at Arizona is going to come in to play nicely because tonight you saw it. You know, it's not a guy that I'm thinking is going to set up your offense when the ones are out there if he's running around with some of the twos, but he's not a dude that is adverse to, you know, finding somebody. He had a terrific no-look little bounce pass as he was jumping. I'm not a fan of the jump pass, but, you know, get it off the way you got to get it off. Jump pass between two players, uh, I believe it was Carlick Jones coming on the baseline. He gets himself a little up and under. I believe he missed the layup and got fouled. But th- th- there are certain things that you could see in the flow of a game that no matter who's on the court, you can say, okay, that's transferable. And Dale and Terry has some of those things. You know, He got caught with his hands in the cookie jar, immediately got a coaching moment from Billy Donovan. Right, like These are the things where preseason shouldn't matter to relevant teams other than staying healthy. This team also has to have this guy come along in a way where, if you don't notice, the Bulls have kind of like this second core, the, these, this group of young players that they have to and are trying to develop right now. You got Patrick Williams, who's the first pick in this regime's tenure. And you got Io who's a terrific pick, right, from last year. And then you got Dalen Terry from this year. So if you look at what Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley have done, in their time, their short time here with the Bulls is go get athletic wing defenders, guys who are willing to do whatever it takes, guys who don't necessarily need the ball in their hands to be effective and put them around the guys who need the ball in their hands. And speaking of, you know, tonight was the night where I was expecting to see, well, I don't know what I was expecting to see out of Patrick Williams. And early on, uh, I thought he was semi-aggressive. Right. But these are the games where I'm happy if Patrick Williams is out here taking the ball off the rim, running it up the court and forcing the action, which he did a couple of times. And and these are the small steps that we're going to have to see as Bulls fans to really believe that he is taking that jump or taking that that leap to the next level. But, yeah, man, we, we got the lid lifter out the way. You know, regular season starts October 19th. We got a whole bunch of shoot-arounds, a whole bunch of practices uh, until then. But against the New Orleans Pelicans defensively. They, they got taken advantage of. There was too many paint looks. There were, there were too many times where Nikola Vucevic had to be a shot blocker. Like, I look at the three block shots that he had early on in the game, and you could marvel at those numbers. But for me, there was too many times where the point of attack was just it didn't have enough resistance. Uh, and, and those are things that they'll shore up, right? They're still learning some new coverages, and they're still trying to figure out which rotation fits the best, not just in practice, but that can be applied to the game. You only get a few games to do that, and then you're off and running in the regular season. So uh, I know that Billy Donovan has harped on defense. Uh, I know defense has been the talking point coming out of a lot of these training camp practices. It was the talking point coming out of media day. And it's the expectation that has to be fulfilled if this team is, I'm not not even talking about contending, if this team is going to make the playoffs. The Eastern Conference is not waiting on you. Not waiting on you. If you're not a good defensive team, you're going to be left in the dust. Any team that has the defensive capability that doesn't max it out or, or doesn't fulfill that potential will be the team that we're talking about. Man, can you believe this such and such didn't make the playoffs? Or can you believe this team is in the play-in tournament? And you don't want that to be the Bulls. But if I if I name those five or six teams again, all of them have one thing in common, that they're better defensive teams than we've seen the Bulls be without Lonzo Ball, so all in all, I think until Lonzo Ball comes back, this will be a rolling theme that we uh, converse about here on this pod that you talk to your your friends about in your group chats. That this Bulls team, in order for them to be anything different than they were last year, in order for them to be better than they were last year, going to have to defend at a different level. We know that they're going to get 52, 53, 54 points a game out of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. But now, where are the other 56 going to come from? And two, can you hold people below 110 points, right? These 30-point quarters that I harped on, uh, game in and game out in the pre- and post-game show, were for a reason. Because you can't have 30-point quarters. You just can't have it. And, And if that becomes the norm, then you're messing around and you're swimming you know, in, in deep waters, way too early in the season that you're going to have to keep some of these legs fresh if you want a deep postseason run. Arturo Skarnashovast talked about them being more varied uh, in the way that they end games and some of their isolation looks that they had last year. Well, the, the best way to not have isolation looks is to make sure that you're not taking the ball out of the net. You know, get it off the rim and run because you, you play decent enough defense to earn yourself a chance at a break. So rebounding-wise, defensively, this team is going to have to shore it up. Obviously, it's the first preseason game, so you don't put a whole bunch into it. But it was our first glance at a team that we know, but we want to know a little bit better, and especially without a major piece in it that we know is not coming back. Having the specter of Lonzo Ball returning like they did last year, sometimes you know, sometimes it it allows people to go a hundred miles an hour and then think they're going to take their foot off the gas. No, you got a sustained, sustained process of how do we defend better coming forth. Like this is this is what they're going to be asked to do, and and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Zach Levine and Demar Derozan and Nikola Vucevic taking up that defensive challenge, showing these young players that scoring is cool and we've all got personal accolades and we've all got, you know, critical acclaim about the way we can fill it up. But in the end, do you want to be the Milwaukee Bucks? Do you want to be the, you know, Philadelphia 76ers? Do you want to be the Miami Heat? Do you want to be these teams that they know they can count on a certain thing defensively, whether it be their coverages, whether it be how stout they are at the point of attack, whether it be their rebounding prowess, whether it be the fact that they don't allow people into the lane like there are certain tenets defensively that other teams can identify with that I think the Bulls are still trying to figure out. So that's all these preseason games are until October 19th. And, you know, we're going to have fun watching them and talking about them. But until that changes, then maybe just maybe the fate of this team won't be any different. I think it can change. It's just about the the right people understanding that it needs to change. So after preseason game one, thumbs up to Dale and Terry for going out there and and He's going to make practice very interesting for a lot of people because he strikes me as the young kid that doesn't know that he's supposed to be walking through walkthroughs, which I think you need. You need a little professional discomfort in some of these practices, need guys to take the cool off a little bit, and you also need him to be respected. So I I know he's going to be going for his, and also all the work that we heard about Ayo Desumu putting in during the offseason, first glance in preseason, looks like it's taking shape. His body looks Transformed, right? He looks like he doesn't look like a a guy fresh out of college. He looks like a guy who's getting ready to be a young veteran in the NBA. So, and of course, Zach Levine and Demar Derozan did what they had to do. I mean, what? Demar went crazy tonight. (laughs) He missed one shot, got to the line a whole bunch of times. What was Demar's line tonight? Let me take a look right here. Yeah, in 23 minutes, Demar was five of nine, and he went to the (laughs) he went to the free throw line 12 times and only only missed one. So, DeMar looks like he's in midseason season form already. Hell, he played at the Drew League and any other place that had a basketball hoop up this, this, this offseason. So, you know, he, his game ain't going to get rusty at all. Zach looks like he's got, you know, that, that, that burst back that Billy Donovan was talking about in training camp. And, of course, Ayo DeSumo. Right. Being the the consummate young professional that we were introduced to last year and carrying that over into his first professional offseason. So uh, there was some good. There was a whole lot of bad. But all in all, uh, we're going to be singing the same tune. If the Bulls don't defend, we're going to to be uh, in for a, um, uh, I would say, an underwhelming ride. If they do defend, which I, I think there there's a chance there then we'll see this team take it to the next level. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, yes, that music that you hear is correct. The NBA is back, not officially, not officially, but it's back just enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. The NBA is back. We can't stop talking about the baseball teams. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to the full goal with Jason Goff presented by the Ringer. Spotify original. What made the the sports night more special is, I believe that I have seen and we all saw the number one pick in the NBA draft. If he chooses to not dribble a basketball again for the rest of the year, is it is, Frank Wembanyama, seven foot four, shooting Victor. step back three? Oh, see, I already <laughs> fucked up, Victor. <laughs> Uh, even Wembenyama. Frank is his cousin. <laughs> Frank is his homeboy. I was wondering we got Frank Brown. Yeah, like, it's yeah, not yeah, Scoot because yeah. yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 Scoot Henderson. Yeah, Victor. Victor Wembenyama. Yeah. This man is 7'4", shooting step-back threes and 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 dribbling with with ease and fluidity. Man. Hey, man. The Oklahoma City Thunder have 42 first-round picks in the next three years. <laughs> they are about to trade all of them for, for number one and a chance at, at, you know, Frank Wimbenyama's cousin, Victor. Um, that dude, you talk about just freakish ability, freakish length and size. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you are the Utah Jazz or the Oklahoma City Thunder or any of these teams that you know, might be one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, count on your team. Like if Chet Holmgren wasn't hurt, they were going to tell Chet this year, hey, by the way, you playing 15 games so we can put you next to this dude for for the next 10 years and have y'all run around as our anchors. That that thing right there, there are certain things that are undeniable when you see them. I will never forget being on the phone with Sonny Vaccaro, uh and when I was booking him as a guest uh, back in the day in my, you know, my production days, my my producing days. and um. Uh, he said to me on the phone, he's like, Jason, I've got the best basketball player that's ever played. He's in my camp right now. I'm like, all right, man, you know, you just, we're we going to let you promote the camp. You know, you son of a you ain't got to talk like that. He's like, nope. He's like, I, I got Magic Johnson and Dominique Wilkins and Carl Malone all in one body. And it turned out to be LeBron James. And there are, there are a few times where you see something, you're like, that's that shit. It's as simple as that, you know, Carmelo, Kevin Durant, like they're, they're just, there's, there's certain things that are just undeniable and barring any unforeseen injury or catastrophic event that, that changes the direction of this young man's career. This is a dude. And I said it in my group chat. No, I'm going to stick by it. That dude's going to score 70 points in an NBA game before his career is over. I, and it's not, it is. I'm. I don't think it's far fetched. By by the time he's in his tenth year and a four point line is here, I'm telling y'all, if you have to defend this dude at seven foot four, and I know he's lean, right? But you know, when when Kevin Durant was running around Seattle, people couldn't wait to tell me about how much strength he had to, you know, put on, or how many how much weight he had to put on. It's hard. It's hard for, for skinny guys to not be skinny right? But as long as they get stronger, right? Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett didn't put on 50, 60 pounds when he got to the league or over the course of time he was in the league, but he got stronger. You know, that's that anchor strength. You know, people talk about Deion Sanders being one of the stronger players pound for pound that they had ever run into. Looking at Deion Sanders, you'd think he was a... Uh, you know, not a spindly dude, but he was a, a thin, graceful athlete who also could lock your ass down at that corner position. But he's one of the stronger dudes in the league, pound for pound. So if if Victor Wembenyama can get get that strength up, man, sky's the limit for that kid. Sky's the absolute limit. Speaking of sky's the limit as well, D'Amico Ryans. I want to shout out D'Amico Ryans, the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator, because all I've seen him do is – Take Nathaniel Hackett's playbook and shove it up his ass, and then on on Monday Night Football, do the same thing to Sean McVay. And I know the I know the Rams have issues on their offensive line. I know they do, but you still got Matt Stafford, you still got Cooper Cup, and you still got the big, beautiful brain of Sean McVay. And all D'Amico Ryan's did was take a second year safety who apparently wants to be the defensive player of the year. My man Funga, who who, who, you know, jumped off the tape in the San Francisco 49 and Chicago Bears game, went out there on Monday night football and told everybody who he was once again. Like, I don't know too many safeties that are playing the level of football that he's playing right now. And that's where Eric Armstead in and out the lineup throughout that game last night, too. And Nick Bosa is what I mean, D'Amico Ryan's for all the talk that we talk about offensive gurus and these young, offensive, talented play callers who went to these liberal arts colleges who, you know, can't wait to to, you know, put their exotic play calling to the test on the NFL level. Yeah, there's some defensive dudes out there that is doing the same damn thing. Some of them actually played in the league, which. I know a lot of people don't like to put stock in, but relatability and and looking players in the eyes and knowing what they've gone through does matter at times, as well as being able to coach some football. D'Amico Ryan's been doing that now for the last couple of years. And the fact that he didn't get that Minnesota Vikings gig might have been a blessing in disguise going forward for him. Because if the 49ers perform like they performed last night, like they performed this season so far, that team shouldn't be, they shouldn't be where they're at. If if you for all intents and purposes you trade up and you draft a quarterback you give up a lot to do so you move on from a quarterback who you know, did his fair share of winning just couldn't get you over the top but he's still a young dude too and and you're the offensive genius and and Kyle Shanahan yeah the defense has been saving their ass for the last couple of years and and uh, D'Amico Ryan, I'm sorry you don't point to anybody point to him. Point to him the same way you point to the the Matt LaFleur's of the world, the Zach Taylor's of the world, the Nathaniel Hackett's of the world, hell, the Matt Nagy's of the world. There's a lot of coaching trees out there where we're like, oh, this guy coached under this great offensive mind. Well, guess what? You Show me the great defensive minds that that the D'Amico Ryans coached under because I want to know who those guys are too. Yeah. So shout out to the 49ers and what they did to Sean McVay And that L.A. Rams offense, that that reigning Super Bowl champion offense, I know the offensive line is messed up, but that's still Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup is still out there. And what they did was, hey, 10 and in, y'all going to win. Other than that, we coming up and hitting everything and taking the ball away. So I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It's quite the the 48 hours in sports for the kid. I enjoyed myself, and I hope you enjoyed it too. And if not, you got it for free. So have at it. (laughs) All right, coming up next is a friend of the program, a guy who was involved in the program, and then he went on to bigger and better things with his life. He is Chris Tannehill of 670 to score to break down what has happened with the Chicago White Sox in the last couple of weeks and this exit presser, the retirement press conference for Tony LaRusso and what Rick Hahn had to say. That and more coming up next right here on The Full Go. Sox Talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the Sox are winners in a thriller. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. So what'd you think of uh, Monday's press conference as a White Sox fan? Because I didn't get a chance to catch it live. But from what I heard, (laughs) he can't really put it on the manager because that then that'll be him putting it on the owner so in in whatever way he could it felt like he was like hey this sucked but please believe you motherfuckers are getting traded we are going out here to figure things out you know this is unacceptable like I heard a whole bunch of stuff from Rick Hahn. It seemed like he was talking to Jerry Reinsdorf through the players. Like, his angst was felt, and he understood what White Sox fit. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Jerry
1: Jerry was talking to the fans and the players through Rick. Like, you know, it's it's incestuous. You all know how it goes down (laughs) with the White Sox. Like, I don't know. Like, in terms of the press conference itself, like, you know, there was some White Sox bingo going on. So some of the typical stuff you see at a White Sox press conference. You know, you had the "Hey, we're not going to throw money at this problem now." Like, okay, all right, <laughs> bingo, right there. Right. Um, but <laughs> you had the pseudo accountability where recon said like if he felt like he wasn't doing the job, he would step away. Like, who would ever do that? <laughs> like, let's be real, folks. I mean, so if everyone else got bad at their job would they like still like say yeah you know I'm out of here you know especially in that organization
0: (laughs) well especially with that ownership group I should say you know
1: especially in baseball when there's only 30 of those jobs right so like had a couple of those things in there that you know on the white Sox bingo card that of course you had them borrowing from the bears with the collaboration when they're talking about the next manager so there was a lot of red flags you know but uh, above all i think you know rick yesterday did a good job trying to communicate to the fan base there was a lot of things in there the fan base i could see did not respond well to but i think generally the the honesty uh you know because i find rick to be a genuine guy and Mm -hmm. you know they were serious about some of the failures from 2022 and how they were all going to wear those going forward. I think they said collectively it was their most uh, disappointing season in their careers, you know, which is, you know, there's a, a lot of, of uh, background with, with white state. They've all been there for so long. There's been so many disappointing teams over the years, but, you know, they, they said it was the most disappointing in their careers. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to chew on there from that press conference. And I, and I know you alluded to, the potentially moving guys. And, and going going back to what I said earlier about not throwing money at the problem, like they've already got, I think, $165 million on the books for next year. And take a look at this payroll here. You know, you have like, you know, $30 million tied up in guys like A.J. Pollock, Joe Kelly, Leary Garcia, Josh Harrison, Jake Peekman. And th- those guys collectively gave you, like, I think, a half a win collectively <laughs> for like $30 million. So al- those guys are still on the books. For next year, not counting Yasmani Grandal, who was like a net negative last year, and he's got his full salary coming, and they're still paying you know uh, Dallas Keuchel to not be here. So right. when, when they say that a lot of the problems you know it, it can be fixed internally, I see what he's saying there. But in terms of not throwing money at the problem, you could you could see why. Of course, I've always said every team has all the money if they want to spend it, but we know on, sort of how the White Sox do business, and the reality is they had a top. Six payroll this, this season, but just how do they allocate those resources is ultimately what we keep getting back to. And we talked about this team last year when we the last shows that we did together, you know, after the uh, post mortem of the 2021 playoffs. Okay, what are the holes here on this roster? Right fielder, second base, second backup base. catcher. It's right. like, okay, now you need both of those things, but now you may need a, a full time catcher. <laughs> you right. know, you don't need the backup. You have the backup right. now, probably in Sebi, but what are you going to get from Grandal? From, from but the, the trading guys is an interesting proposition when you look at this roster because if you're a Sox fan and there's anything you like about the twenty twenty two Sox, uh, get used to the fact that you may not see those players next year, whether it be Jose Abreu, who they could just let walk. I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit, but you look at someone like Eloy Jimenez who probably has the most amount of value that you would get back in a trade. Like are you ready as a White Sox fan to get used to what this team could look like without Eloy Jimenez? You know, so they're gonna have to make some really hard this decision this this offseason. Like, this is not... I, I've talked to a lot of people uh, who watch baseball all their lives and they're like, man, I don't know how you fix this thing. I wouldn't want to be in charge with how you fix this thing. But luckily, we have the White Sox brass that's in charge of it all. So you just have to sit back and hope you get a little bit of luck along the way, I
0: guess. I'm glad you mentioned Eloy Jimenez because it is... It is until very recently that I have thought about him not being a White Sox player. And, you know, the chatter has been going on this year a little bit more. And, you know, four years, Tanny, in 314 games, that's not going to cut it. You know, if you can't get 115, 120 plus games out of a guy that you're counting on to be a a primetime bat for you, then really, what are you counting on? Right? You're counting on his replacement having to play, you know, damn near half a season these last two years. And... Uh, the, I, I I hate to ever get into guys' shape, right? But even when Carlos Rod- Rodon was a little a little heavier, a little pudgy, Carlos Rodon got back in the lab, changed his body up, and all of a sudden, Carlos Rodon started to reach that potential, even through injury last year that we saw. Uh, Eloy Jimenez with the things that slow him down and him wanting to play the outfield, like it's, it's time now. Like, you no longer are a baby. You no longer are a kid in this, in this game. You are a young veteran. So, and on top of the fact that he played and hit as well as he did, you know, after the White Sox kind of were floundering, his stock to me would be up in terms of turning him over and getting some things back from that you can kind of disperse throughout the, the squad. How, how, where are you at right now on Eloy? And how far off base am I?
1: No, no, you're, you're dead on as always, man. I mean, you watch his team every day like I do. You see what you see out there. You know, they the Eloy is, is really a, a unique case because he's incredibly likable. He's one of the yeah. favorite players of the fan base, um, but also he just can't be, he's just not on the field enough to make a difference. And he's so frustrating because you see what the bat can do when he's relatively healthy. Like, I have, I have no doubt that he wasn't playing at 100% over the last, you know, uh, couple months here, but still he was performing at a, High level offensively, and he said yesterday uh, in, in the dugout that he wanted to play 150 games next year, uh, and he was going to get into the lab and work on everything that needs to be worked on as far as his health. And you know, he was asked like, "Well, what specifically?" And he just said everything. So whenever someone tells you everything, I don't, I don't know if there's been a specific plan yet given to Eloy Jimenez in terms of how do we keep this guy on the field. And I think what 2022 showed us is that he can still perform. Uh, and, and be a DH. He balked at that idea for so many years after we dealt with him and his miscues out there in left field and falling into nets in every <laughs> city on the road, you know. Um, but you see that he's warmed up to the idea It's like, okay, he can perform at a high level while just being a DH. But is this team really best suited for him in left field. You know, again, it gets back to the inherent issues with this roster. We have so many DHS and, you know, not enough spots to, to put them in. But the Eloy thing, you know, he, he's a good kid, but he just, I hope his legacy is not one of, hey, he was showed really, really good signs of being in the lineup when he was good. And he was an elite bat when he was in there, but ultimately we just could not keep him on the field. That would be really unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, man, like, he still probably has the highest trade value of anyone. And I remember, uh, you know, Ozzy Guillen was on the score last week, and he made a good comp uh, to the 2004 White Sox. And that's a team I always look at every year. If you would have told me in 2004 that a year later the White Sox would be world champions, I never would have believed you. But there's a lot of parallels here. And, I, and I'm wondering if Eloy Jimenez is this year is Carlos sleep. Mm-hmm. Because even when Eloy Jimenez was out there and healthy in left field in the times that he did play left field, you know, his mistakes were not that of physical errors, but they were more so of mental errors, not hustling the balls, letting guys take the extra base, basically just not playing winning baseball. And Carlos Lee hit 30, 40 bombs a year, but ultimately, he helped you win a lot of baseball games. Generally, the answer was no, because you had power production from other spots in that 014. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if I look at this thing here, if that's not where they start to make their ball club and more of a winning ball club you take your highest value guy put him out there in the trade market you hopefully get someone that's out of town stupid that only sees the numbers when he's in the lineup and doesn't realize the nuances of he's not actually in the lineup as much as you would
0: like him to be. let's uh start at the top of that lineup too because i mean for the most part you know the pitching did what they had to do this year you know, you got stuff out of guys like Johnny Cueto and 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 the relievers that, that stepped up this year. You know, Raylo and 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 a, a bunch of guys who were put in positions that you didn't expect them to be put in, and they thrived in them. But I want you know, I want to stay in the lineup. Tim Anderson. Uh, the last three years, a star has been born. You know, not just in this city, but in Major League Baseball. And with that stardom, and with those eyes and that spotlight and that fanfare comes greater expectations where have the expectations been set for tim anderson going forward you know you had the josh donaldson situation you had you know you had the the iowa game like he's had moments good and bad over the last few years now the injury and all the stuff just that's swirling around him outside of the clubhouse um where where is the franchise and the organization on Tim Anderson? I'm not out on him as a, as a Sox fan oh, yeah. at all. But w- what do you think is next for Tim Anderson? Is he just, does he just go back to being his normal self? Or what do you think is next for him?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think the ceiling for T.A. is still incredibly high. Like, you talked about all those moments. Like, he's always met the big moments. Like, if you even go back to this series, like so with the Josh Donaldson thing on Sunday Night Baseball, he gets to go-ahead home run to win the game, um, and you know, yeah, you alluded to some of the off-the-field stuff this year, like, you know, clearly something was wearing on him mentally, because he made as, as many mental mistakes anyone, as anyone yep. did in the field or early in the season, but then hurt for a lot of the year, and, you know, it's, I guess it's unfair to talk about this team, about saying how, how many games that Sam Anderson missed this year, like, he mm-hmm. really is still the core of that team, he's the heart and soul of that team, and even with everything else going on, like, he still was producing at a pretty high level, um, eventually the defense did tighten up i would like to see him do that for an entire calendar season as opposed to you know a, you know having a, a bad month and moving forward from that but i think still he can be like the face of baseball like the ceiling is that high for tim anderson i would like to like him to see it hit for a little bit more power next season i think that is where this team can really take it up to the next level is if you get that power production from the leadoff spot i mean there's a lot of money to be made in the opposite field is what they always say but you know, he could hit 335 every year if he took the ball to the right field. And generally, that's a good approach. But this team is built on power bats and power production. And, you know, if a guy like Tim Anderson can go back to hitting a long ball with more proficiency at the top of the order, setting the tone, Putting your pitchers in in a spot where they have some early leads, I would love to see that going forward next year. Obviously, he's got to get healthy and get back on the field, um, but he's still an incredibly elite player. And depending on what they do with Elvis Andrews, they decide they're going to resign him and put him at second. They can only get better, just, you know, playing next to an established player like Elvis Andrews every day. I don't know if that's the route they're going to go, but yeah, the ceiling is still incredibly high. And the fact that he's not around, I think people lose sight of the fact of how important he is to this team. And yes, they did go on their run while he was still injured. Uh, but when when this team is, is running at full capacity at their highest abilities, Tim Anderson is the best player in the
0: team. What kind of chunk did the managing style or whatever happened this year with Tony La Russa take out of this team going forward? Because, you know, I'm I'm still kind of foggy on what his real impact was or wasn't. You know, the Trey Turner stuff and the the one-two count, yeah, those, those are obviously obvious mistakes. Like, the obvious mistakes are obvious. But, you know, you listen to these players and they talk about a Tony La Russa that I, for one, frankly, didn't see arriving here. Like, all the stuff that we heard about Tony not having covering him every day and not having to watch him manage a baseball team every day, uh, you know, When he showed up, I thought it was going to be rigid. Everyone stay in line, you know, tuck your jersey in top step of the dugout for the national anthem. All the stuff that you you thought would come with a guy from comments and his history before him. And then when he gets here, it seems as if the dudes who were going to bat for him, I never thought would go to bat for him. The, the, the guys who there there was whatever kind of barrier you thought there would be, there seemingly wasn't. It just it, it was the opposite guys apparently weren't being held accountable for things. Miguel Cairo comes in there and essentially, you know, figuratively turns over the the, the dinner table and says, hey, you know, this is not the kind of baseball we're going to play going forward. So wh- what do you think the lasting ramifications of Tony La Russa's tenure here will be, if any?
1: His legacy is going to be pretty complicated and nuanced when you talk about it because listening to some of the players do their, basically, their pseudo-exit interviews yesterday. Like, it's so White Sox to have an end-of-the-year press conference, and there's still three games left to play on the schedule. Um, After the Twin
0: Series, don't don't ask us anything. We're (laughs) we're gone.
1: Right. You know, but Tony was still here last year with a really good team that won over 90 games and, and ran away at the division, but you listen to these players talk yesterday, especially Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks really provided a lot of insight, into the psyche of what was going on with a lot of these players this season. And it seemed like, you know, if you're going to point the fingers, like, you know, now that we have some separation from it and Tony's been away for a, about a month and now he's officially gone, you know, I, I don't know how much blame I put on Tony La Russa. Liam Hendricks said that there were situations where everyone tried to do too much because they didn't trust the man behind them. Like, Liam Hendricks tried to strike everyone out because he doesn't trust his defense to make a play. And he said at the All-Star break that everyone on the team sort of came in with uh, an attitude of the division was theirs for the taking, but not in a, in a good way. You know, yesterday he talked about, you know, the borderline confidence and arrogance. He said they skewed more toward the arrogant side. And now you could say that the manager is responsible for setting that tone early in spring training and sort of reading his room. And I guess uh, if you can say anything about Tony this season, he didn't read his room. And a lot of people say, Tony coddled his players like that was always his reputation going back to the Oakland days and it certainly seemed like there was a lot of coddling this year but un- inherently that's a that's a pro player approach so you would think the players would play better for him right. you know I, I I think it was a convenient foe a convenient villain for White Sox fans to you know chant fire Tony and I'm not sticking up for the man because like I, if we had to do this whole thing over again I obviously wouldn't hire Tony I just ultimately it wasn't the right fit for whatever reason but I think most of the onus is going to go uh, on the players for the failures of 2022 and not Tony LaRusso. He was not a great in-game tactician. Um, you know, he was not a great bull- bullpen manager. It, and ultimately, the, the vibe around his teams were pretty stale. And you go to the ballpark and it was not a pleasant place to be. So, you know, I, I don't know how many, uh, how many of those things you can put back on the manager, but it's a top-down thing. Like, when that's the, the, the forward-facing face of your franchise, like, it's hard to get excited for that. But still, ultimately... It's totally on the players, I think, for, for their underwhelming performance this season because they were the hunted and they didn't know how to respond. And so you look at what these players, what they did this season, I think it is, you have to look at them first and foremost in terms of you know the solutions to fix this team. It's not just going to be a one thing, a one-shot deal here where you fix the manager and all of a sudden these players are going to get better. I think these players are going to have to look Inward this offseason and really have to do some soul searching. And and everyone, those guys in that clubhouse, going to say, okay, what do I have to do to get better for next year? What didn't I do? Because it was actually pretty sad yesterday when you looked at the response because all the players were there from Tony and everyone said all the right things about him after the fact. You didn't get many leaks over the course of the season about, hey, I really don't like playing for this guy and he's old and he sucks. And, you know, we really could use a different vibe, even though the team was screaming for a managerial managerial change all season. Uh, You know, (laughs) when you just look at them play, But Mm -hmm. it was kind of sad because this guy who, you know, his last gig, his retirement gig, so to speak, but still his players know they didn't do everything they possibly could have to, you know, give him that storybook ending that every White Sox fan wanted. Maybe they didn't want it with Tony La Russa, but if you would have said he'd be hoisting the commissioner's trophy, (laughs) I think people would get used to the idea of Tony La Russa being the manager. So but ultimately it's on the players, man.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of a a guy that you mentioned at the top of this conversation, if these are the last few days of the Jose Abreu tenure in, in Chicago White Sox colors, um, how do you, how do you sum up his career and, um, do you think he'll be back?
1: Um, I do think he'll be back. You know, I think Andrew Vaughn is one of those guys that I would have looked at trading, when he was at his peak value, which was before he ever hit the major leagues, you know, that was a, a piece screaming to me, like whatever help you may need here on the major league level, this is your best opportunity to, to take a shortcut to, to, to those steps and those player acquisitions. But things are complicated, right? Because he didn't really get a chance to play at all, you know, during the COVID season of 2020, and then he's ushered up direct big league level, be able to play the outfield, um, you know, Relatively well for a guy that hadn't played there in 2021. And then you see him in right field this year. And, you know, but ultimately the bat has been pretty underwhelming. Like the OVP is not where you want it to be. The power numbers are not where you need to be. Meanwhile, Jose Abreu was still your best player in terms of performance overall for the 2022 Chicago White Sox. He showed no real signs of slowing down, except he's another guy whose power numbers also went down. Um, so I think he'll be back because, you know, he's uh, the, his own worst, uh, Agents in all of baseball because he was pretty much signed. <laughs> like they, he may even defer his uh, minuscule salary for next season uh, and free up some payroll, like a NFL contract, maybe. But you know, he's still a guy. You know, he's the, the modern-day Luke Appling man, the old Acey Baines <laughs> out there. He plays through everything, all the injuries. Uh, he's still a gamer. Like you know, I've always had my you know questions about like, do the White Sox have enough in-house leadership in, ter- in terms of their player group, and everyone still defers to Jose Abreu as the quiet leader. Like he will lead by example, but he won't pull a guy aside and say, "Hey, you should be doing this." Like he will get, you'll always be the first guy there in the facility to work, last guy to leave, and he's still productive on the field. So I think you know your team is not going to be better uh, without Jose Abreu next year. Like you still want more guys like that on your team. If you had twenty five of those guys, you'll be in good shape every single time. So I think he will be back. And his legacy will just be, you know, following the footsteps of the other great first baseman in franchise history, Frank Thompson, Paul Fenerko, then right to Jose Brady. So, you know, I know his his legacy is a little bit nuanced as well because he doesn't have that fan connection as the previous two guys, but he should, man. Like the way he plays on the field every day, he he really should have that connection because no one has played harder in a White Sox uniform, uh, I think, in my lifetime than Jose Brady.
0: Yeah, and few guys land with the kind of fanfare and hype that he landed with cuz usually, you know, we get a chance to see somebody in their minor league numbers or, you know, the the scout scouting reports of them as a young player and, and trying to progress on how they'll figure out the, you know, the major league level. This dude landed and hit immediately and and never really stopped hitting and and, and plays a damn good first base over there as well. So, um lastly, and I appreciate your time my guy. Um the uh, manager, you know, I've seen uh, names like Carlos Beltran and Chris Getz and Jim Tomey and Bruce Bochi and AJ Perzinski and, and Ozzy, who I <laughs> saw somebody say, hey, wait a minute. Ozzy's been out of this thing for a decade, too. Like, what's going on now? Um, that obviously ain't happening. Uh, but what do we uh where do you want them to go and where do you think they'll go in terms of just the search? It doesn't even have to be a guy, but you know, from what we heard, they kind of clearly defined what they won't be going for and the, some of the things they might be leaning towards. What did you hear in, in Monday's press conference uh, in terms of the managerial search and where would you like them to go?
1: I did love what the Rakan said yesterday. Uh, the process will be different this time around. <laughs>
0: <Which> <laughs> right, is, right. Like, right, you know, right. Jerry will not that. text me a name. <laughs> <laughs> right. While we have AJ Hinge on the press release, you know, Man.
1: going out season ticket holders. Um, you know what? I, ironically, you know, I don't think the manager next year is going to matter all that much because I generally don't think. They matter. Um, even when Tony was at his worst, they still were able to win ninety games with him as your manager. I think what they can gain most during this offseason is what Rickon you know, mentioned as the outside opinions. You can gain a lot of intel about your organization who's kind of your know, Socks organization's kind of in shambles right now in terms of the way people look at it, I think. At least the way I look at it. Like, you know, they don't really teach fundamentals. you know, the, they they aren't really churning out the prospects to help fill those gaps where you where you need depth, you know, so I think you can gain a lot just from the interview process this off season. Like I, I think they should bring in everyone and anyone and just say, Hey man, what do you think about our organization? What do people say about us? Um, you know, so, but there's a lot of good candidates on this list, but ultimately I, I think it's still up to the players next season to perform to the back of their baseball card and, and make this next manager look good. But, you know, Rakan mentioned they did want someone with, uh, recent success in a winning organization now i don't know if he specifically meant having a managerial job or just being manager adjacent being a bench coach being a first base coach third base coach so you know I, I think they'd be open to that like you know joe espada is the name who's been hot for several years now like you talk about a guy uh puerto rican descent so you have the latin influence and he's been he chose to, to stick around and ride it out with Dusty baker uh, when he was floated out for other jobs, you know, after AJ Hinch left, you know, so he's been in the mix for a while for of managerial candidates. I wouldn't hate that because the Astros, you know, if Joe Spada could bring the Astros drafting a development team with them, that would be great, you know, so, but in terms of, of a guy, the Astros always play fundamentally sound baseball and everyone who comes up through that organization and plays at the major league level, they seem to fit in seamlessly. So you you want to get some intel. And I think a guy like that would be a, a decent leader, but you know, uh, another name to look out for is Freddie Gonzalez. Freddie Gonzalez was uh, on the bench uh, with Brandon Hyde's Baltimore Orioles. That's another team who's who's on the come up, and you, I just love the way they play baseball. So they they need to really just get someone who's going to bring a, a hardened edge to this team, I think, and get them to play a, a little bit more uh you know the hockey chair blade was a little more greasy you know what I mean like they they they, 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 they I think they've been hardened by 2022 now they just need to play like it in 2023 I think so any of these names would be good you know you talk about Sandy Alomar was a game. I'm still trying to figure out what is it about Sandy Alomar that people don't like because Man. he's he's been talked about uh, as an ex manager for like 10 years but then he kind of stopped hearing his name yet at the same time he's a guy that's still good enough to be on Terry Francona's bench and fill in for him when he's got health issues, you know? So maybe it's just a situation where he's you know, healthy there. They, they must want to keep him there. Tito's used to like him a lot. So that's a name, you know, you talk about a guy that's had the experience because he's done the job, albeit sparingly, but he's done the job and he's been uh, winning adjacent, especially to your, your division rivals. So if you can, you know, gather some intel from, what your division rivals and a guy who has ties with the White Sox organization, don't forget. So that's a name to look out for. Like, you know, I, I don't know what, what's, what's going on with Sandy Elamore and why he hasn't gotten the job. But I, I think ultimately, like I said, it doesn't matter. Gather as much intel as you can about your organization. And, and I hope they take notes, man, because they've got a lot of work to do here, uh, but there are a lot of good candidates, but ultimately the answers are in that room. currently. It's not really going to come from an outside source.
0: Yeah. Anytime a guy isn't getting a gig that he's primed for, I uh I, I let my NBA spidey senses take over and a lot of questions start to get answered for me, you know? I Any mean, <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, anytime some dude is like, Hey man, everybody loves this guy. It's like, wait a minute, why is he getting hired? Yeah, he started yeah, he started to try to figure things out. Shout out to Sandy Alomar Jr. though, by the way.
1: Yeah. You know? Well um, but it's funny though because Bob Nightingale mentions Carlos Beltran as like the perfect fit. I think this is what how he worded it, but it's like, how so? Like he hasn't been a bench coach anywhere. He was going to be the <laughs> Mets manager until they found out like he was, was the only cheating. player, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how that <laughs> makes you know. If we're gonna if we're gonna do that, if we're gonna just you know start cheating our asses off, hey, this is what it is. Hey, right, bring me? it so on. I <laughs> exactly. You know, I just I just don't I don't see like how bad is the UK. you know you know Bob's got his sources, so uh, you know so if it's if it's Carlos Beltran, so be it. But that would not meet any of the criteria that Rickon mentioned yesterday.
0: Yeah, but it would meet Brendan McCaffrey's criteria and he would explode. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that's a little inside baseball right there for you. Our guy, Brendan McCaffrey, a mutual friend, loves Carlos Beltran more than maybe Carlos Beltran's family does. So shout out to our guy, B-Mac. Tanny, it's always good to see my guy. Um, Your shows are sounding terrific over there at the Score. We miss you here at uh, at the full go, but uh, we are it's always guys, happy. Man. Yeah, man. Always happy for you to jump in and uh, keep us up to date on what's happening with the White Sox fan base and also with that organization because this was, um, I, I said it on previous pods, I'll say it on this one, this was as disappointing a season as I can remember in my sports fandom. Um, expecting what I expected this year and getting what we got. So hopefully that changes next year. Uh, hopefully, the scars and remnants of the Tony La Russa era won't uh, won't prohibit this team from reaching the heights that they're supposed to reach because you know expectations are cool, but uh, well, at some point that that pressure has to turn to diamonds. And right now we're sitting with a big lump of coal as Sox fans.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jay. Let me guys appreciate you,
0: my man, Chris Tannehill, right here on the Full Go Podcast. Hey guys, this is Azuige, and you are listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff on the ringer in his spot five. All right, that's all the time we have for episode 159 of the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff. I want to thank our guests. Oh, my gosh, the great Chris Tannehill, breaking it down for all the Sox fans out there. You can hear his work on 670 to Score here locally in Chicago. Uh, we love Tanny with all of our hearts. So appreciate you, Chris. And of course, our production staff wanna thank the fellas as always, uh, ah, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerudy, and my main man, Tony Gill, and the active Jesse Lopez. It's always good to hear and see Jesse on these Zoom calls. Uh, he, he gets me through the night, ladies and gentlemen so for Tony, for Jesse for Steve Cerruti and my man Hill, I'm Jason Goff, thank you so much for downloading this thing, for subscribing to this thing, for rating and reviewing it because we love when you do that for sharing this thing with your family and friends we truly, truly appreciate anything that you do for and with this pod as always, we leave you with this, take care of each other and be safe, we will talk to you on Thursday as we preview Vikings Bears right here on the Full Go Podcast